Hello and welcome back to the Innovation Room. I am Daniel Guardo and with me is my co-host Tori Homan. And we haven't been here for a while, but we got a great show today. So I am excited. Tori, you want to let them know what we're talking about? Yeah, so it's going to be such a great topic, y'all. We are covering ESG today. So ESG, environmental, social, and governance issues. Um, we're going to be talking about exactly what those three things are, how they are, are, well, are they important to businesses, how they how they impact companies across all industries and sizes, um, and then how businesses can implement important, meaningful ESG practices into their structure. Yeah, and so you want to listen to the entire podcast and not fall asleep, we have a guest speaker because if we just <laughs> talked about this stuff, it might not be as exciting as he makes it. He has a way of putting a spin on things with his leadership guidance and his history in the industry and in the space. We are going to have a Brian Lowell French. He's a leadership coach as well as the author of the book, Harmonic Leadership, Leading with Inclusive Mindful Caring, just released uh, February of 2022. He uses his um, three plus decades as a talent development and leadership professional to teach and coach other leaders to become inclusive, mindful, and caring individuals overall. Through the years, Brian has held leadership positions uh, in education and corporate settings, uh, leading the global leadership development programs for uh, Fortune 20 companies. So now through his firm, Harmonic Learning LLC, he creates and facilitates leadership development and mindfulness or mindfulness-based learning uh, experiences for organizations and provides executive coaching to leaders in all industries. The one industry that I know him from personally, and Tori does as well, is the RIFMA Restaurant Facility Maintenance Organization, as he partners with them and has a leadership program through there that I really enjoyed when I was a part of that. So the last thing here to mention about, he, he has a personal mission, which I think is really great. His personal mission is to strive daily to create more harmony in the world. Yeah. So it's such a great mission. And Brian is such a great guy. We're really excited to have him on the show today. And before we go say hi to Brian, just a reminder, don't forget to like, share and subscribe to the podcast, either here on YouTube, you can do it through our website, NorthAmericanScience.com, or you can also find the audio version of this wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get into it. Well, Brian, it's really great to have you here with us today, and uh, let's just kind of dive right in because there's a lot to go over here and a lot for people to maybe try to digest or understand. So let's start with what does ESG stand for and where did that acronym come from? Yeah, thank you, Dan, and thank you, Tori, for having me. It's great to be here. ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. Three big topics, maybe seeming unrelated, but they fit together. So the focus on these elements actually came when uh, in 2004, when uh, Kofi Annan, uh, who was then serving as the Secretary General of the United Nations, wrote to 50 CEOs of the major financial institutions, inviting them to participate in an initiative to, to find ways to integrate investment into funds that supported environmental, social, and corporate governance matters. In the uh, 2005 report uh, by the UN, it was entitled Who Cares Wins, Who Cares, comma, Wins. Uh, that acronym was first used. So it was first used in, in 2005. This leads to the uh, 2006 signing of the UN's Principles for Responsible Investments, 
often known as the acronym PRI at New York Stock Exchange. Um, the, now the UN division responsible is the UN Environmental Program Finance Initiative. And the acronym that's actually credited, the, the start of the acronym is actually credited to a junior person at UNEP at the time named James Guilford, who uh, went on to become the head of the Sustainable and Impact Advisory and Thought Leadership at Credit Suisse in Zurich. So it, it has an interesting formation and interesting history. And I like so many terms in this space and in the leadership space, frankly, it, it kind of organically grew and became a thing from what uh, was initially just a, a reference uh, within, within a document. So the intent of this effort was to create an environment where investments were being made into companies and organizations that supported environmental efforts that had a strong focus on social concerns and that created ethical internal governance and fair control structures that benefited the broader society. And to speak a little bit more about it, then the UN uh, United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, often known as the acronym SGD, they were signed in 2015, where all of the United Nations member states adopted the 17 goals that capture the global environmental social needs, along with aspects of fair governance all within them. So many of the reporting frameworks for ESG use the 17 SDGs, <laughs> Sustainable okay. Development Goals, as a framework for the reporting. Uh, so the GRI, for instance, Global Reporting Initiative, is an example of this. So the, the current Secretary General of the UN, Antonio Guterres, is consistently promoting investment into the ESG space to help support the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals. So it's closely tied to the broader work of the United Nations uh, and also closely tied to the broader work of the World Economic Fund. So broad history, kind of a long history. I say long history, it's actually relatively short, just in the last you know, 17, 18 years. Yeah, so I guess my understanding, that was way more in depth than I knew about it. I looked at it more as like the next step up from CSR, Corporate Social Responsibility. So. I guess, what does it mean for an organization to focus on environmental, social, and governance concerns, and maybe like the separation from just corporate response, social responsibility and ESG being specific in these areas? Yeah, thanks. And here again, I'll try to keep the answer succinct because it's a big topic. So uh, CSR, yeah. Corporate Social Responsibility, has been around since the 70s, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and it's still used some, but ESG is now the best buzz term that is most commonly used and and it can mean you know different things for an organization and some organizations focus more on one area than the others but the truly impactful companies focus on all three areas equally and and keep in mind this this is for companies of any size you hear about the big companies doing big things but mm -hmm. a lot of mid-sized a lot of smaller companies are doing amazing things in the space, we just don't hear about them because they don't have the, the media coverage. To give some examples, you know, the, the environmental focus, for instance, this involves things like climate change, biodiversity, okay. ecological sustainability, those kinds of things. So there are many small things that any company can do in any office or working environment, uh, you know, establishing a recycling operation, getting rid of single use plastics from the office, um, using recycled paper and plastic products and then recycling them installing efficient lighting and even automatic lights that will turn off to save energy when someone leaves the room even just setting thermostats on timers to lessen energy consumption during off hours so 
anybody can do those small things and we can all do them personally as well to make a, to make an impact. And then the bigger types of things that companies do are actually curbing carbon emissions by using green energy sources. Things like ensuring ecosystems are not being damaged by the production, the operation, the supply chain movements of whatever they do as a company. It can be finding ways to greatly lessen consumable waste from the business operation. Uh, things like opting for sustainable raw materials, products, and consumables. Basically getting to a sustainable, hopefully net zero operation that is not harming any element of the ecology. And net, net zero meaning net zero carbon emissions, or at least offsetting those with, with sequestration or other measures. And then that's the environmental focus. So the social focus uh, encompasses things like supporting social causes and DEI, uh, where the company uh, celebrates diversity, ensures equity and fosters inclusion so that uh, all employees feel this sense of belonging. This could be things like internally creating DEI education programs within your company and forming employee resource groups. Externally, it could be things like doing local community out uh, outreach and charity work. It can be creating opportunities to support social movements and institutions that support society, both locally and globally as well. So that's the social aspect. Okay. Now, the G is governance. And the governance focus involves uh, creating sound internal governance controls and ensuring ethical practices that all leadership and all employees will follow. So some examples of this is uh, creating a diverse and equitable senior leadership team and board of directors. So we have that, that unique perspective uh, being represented. Other things are having strict and ethical controls that ensure proper operation, creating policies, practices that support the environment and social aspects, ensuring diversity in your vendors and suppliers being transparent in the operation of the company and basically honestly reporting the results of your ESG efforts. So long answer, and I thought it may be helpful to provide a, a bit of a case study. So there's, sure. there's this company where I purchase my vitamins from, okay. and I have this huge brand loyalty for them. And they're a Canadian based company. And may I ask it, would it be okay to actually say their name on the podcast? Yeah, no, that's totally fine. Okay, great. Um, they don't sponsor me. So this is this is unsolicited. Okay. But they're, I think it's a great example of how a company can incorporate ESG into their operation. So they're called natural factors. And these are the uh, specific vitamins that I get. For those listening to the podcast, I'm holding the bottle up to the camera. And uh, these these have an interesting story. Uh, I received this order just yesterday, and it, it shows a lot of what we're talking about. First of all, it's sustainable packaging. Everything is uh, recyclable. Even the insert card that they that they give to you is printed on sugar cane fiber based paper. So no forest products were being used, even for their little marketing insert. And in their marketing insert, they're sharing about their commitment to not only the environment, but to people as well, uh, covering the uh, social aspects. You know, caring is in our nature. Um, we care about the source and purity of our products. We care about being good stewards of the earth. Uh, we care about you and your journey to great health. Thank you for choosing our, our natural factors product. And they talk about their organic farmland. And this is the reason that I choose them, one of the many reasons is they are completely organic. They run their own farm and every uh, single plant and herb and vegetable that goes into these vitamins are raised by themselves in organic means with non-GMO based seeds. 
And when you look on their website, they further explain their commitment. Uh, they use only in organic ingredients, no pesticides, no GMO seeds. Uh, they're a certified B Corp, which means they have met standards of operation that verify that they have met strict social and environmental performance. They are now carbon neutral in their operation. Okay. And then looking at their careers portal, it's, it's clear that their pay and benefit structure is very good. So they're fulfilling the social needs of their employees as well. Now they are privately held companies, so they don't formally report to the stock markets, uh, but there's you know confidence that they're providing the social proof that it, it gives me confidence as a consumer. So they are a little bit more expensive, but for me, it's more than worth it since the company is seeking the greater good. I guess I might be getting a little ahead of myself here, but since we're going over the case study, one of my things that I've come to find about this is like, is this always feasible for all types of companies? Because, you know, people make products at a certain price points to satisfy certain markets. There are lower income markets where these people can't afford to pay the extra for this, you know, to reduce the carbon footprint, which I'm sure everybody wants to do. But when it comes to, you know, having meals for seven days a week or four days a week, you always pick seven. And then does that fundamentally hurt or unincentivize businesses to do these things because then they have no one to provide their products to because they priced out their market? Yeah, that's that's a that's a big question, Dan, and it's an important question. It's part of the it's part of the debate that goes on within the space, frankly. And and there's uh, I'll try to answer it succinctly succinctly and tie it into the second part of your previous question that I failed to answer, and that is the tie into CSR. So and and your question does lead us to that path. So CSR is corporate social responsibility, which many companies have focused on, as I said, since the '70s. Uh, mm -hmm. So there was this the talk in the '70s of of a social contract. So as a company, as a business, I have a social contract with my customers, with my clients, with the greater population in the world. And, and that's where the, the impetus, that's where the motivation comes in to try at all costs to meet the needs of the customers and clients and the greater world in a way that can still be manageable, that can still be profitable for me as a business so I can continue to operate. So there's a there's a term called license to operate. And mm -hmm. basically that's what we're building with our clients and our customer base, creating that license to operate. And as part of the license to operate, I as a business owner will say, I agree to do these things in this way that are socially responsible. So you can almost put it into a sentence where uh, you know CSR is the ethics of the organization and ESG is how those ethics are being demonstrated to the outside world. Or, or perhaps even better is CSR is the company's conscience and mm. uh, ERG is how the company exhibits that to the world. So a sentence could be a company has a corporate social responsibility to support environmental, social and governance concerns, basically. We've seen in the past people fail to do so many times and we've seen people succeed at doing so. Uh, we've seen people manipulate it and use it to their advantage. So there's always going to be bad or there's good and people are always going to try to ruin the things that we're trying to build. But I guess, do we have uh, someone monitoring or someone who is, you know, kind of like looking at these people like you're saying you're doing this, but it's obvious you're not stop getting the benefit and not putting in the work, I guess, or are we yeah. just let it trusting companies at the word, which more and more people do that less and less. Right, right. Wow. Yeah. And another very important question and another big part of the debate, uh, there, there's a term called greenwashing that most people have heard of. And that's basically what you're speaking of. It's where companies paint the picture 
on their mm -hmm. marketing, on their website, that they're doing all these things when in reality they're not. Or yeah. if even if they're trying, it's not having any effect at all. But they're trying to ride the wave of, of the good press that they're getting from that. And that is a big, big complaint. And that was a big complaint about CSR. And that's another reason that CSR is now transitioning more to ESG space. Because part of ESG is the understanding that there will be some reporting. Now, this gets into a really big, big world here because there's a lot of different reporting standards right now. There's not a global standard across the board. So mm -hmm. companies can report on ESG in many different ways that will have different views that are not comparable to each other. And then there are companies out there that are monitoring companies for their ESG efforts and trying to rank them. But unfortunately, those companies measure different things and their rankings are different. So you could have one company that ranks very high in one of these indexes and very low in another index because they're measuring different things. So there's there's two big reporting standards out there. There's the GRI that I mentioned earlier, Global Reporting Initiative and SASB, Sustainable uh, Sustainability Accounting Standards Board. And these are nonprofits. They set up these reporting standards to try to get us to that point of consistency, but we're still not there. So just recently, the last few years, there's been a new group that has come together uh, through the United Nations work through the World Economic Forum that is called the International Sustainable Standards Board. And they're working to create this globally agreed upon standard for reporting. And it was, it was announced at the uh, 2021 United Nations Conference of the Parties. Most people have heard of COP26 or COP you know, the most, most recent one was 27. So the, the COP is the Conference of the Parties where they talk about the, the climate space and uh, do work and form agreements around the climate space. So that's when this board was announced. So they're trying to, to come to a global standard, but as you can imagine, it is tough work. Uh, it, it, it requires a lot of different entities from a lot of different, um, both governmental and private organizations to come together to, to agree to this. So unfortunately, it will be years before there is the standard. So right now, it often falls to the consumer to do the research, as I've done with my little company uh, that I support so much, my the, the vitamin company. I did a lot of independent research on a lot of different vitamin companies who were claiming a lot of different things to try to weed through the publicly available information to make the decision that, yes, this is the most ethical, this is the one most focused on ESG. We in the space do hope that it comes sooner rather than later, so we can have that confidence in the transparency and accuracy of the reporting. Yeah, yeah and Brian, I, I think obviously this, we're focusing this podcast on how this benefits businesses, but I think it's, it's definitely kind of a wake-up call. It should be a wake-up call for consumers as well. There is a lot of greenwashing and sometimes there isn't a lot of reason to trust in these corporations. Like I know I have a hard time with you know, the fashion industry is a huge one. There's tons of fast fashion out there where companies are using human trafficking and other really unethical practices. And so consumers have to do the research and you can't rely necessarily on the media anymore to do those things for you. You have to, you just have to be extremely, extremely mindful. If, if sustainability in these, these standards are important to you, you have to do the research. Yeah, yeah, exactly right, Tori. And, and, uh, and there, there will be a time that it just becomes part of the natural reporting that a company does, but we're just not there yet. Right, right. 
So we've talked a little bit about kind of the the groundwork of ESG. What is it and what does it look like for a business to participate in ESG? But there are definitely some pros and cons and there are multiple camps on whether ESG actually benefits businesses, um, benefits consumers, right? So, so before we get into like how a business can actually implement this, let's address some of those, those pros and cons here. Brian, is it important for a company to uh, be concerned with or invest in ESG? Should they? Why? Yeah, great question. You know, bottom line is if they don't, they likely won't be able to stay in business long-term. You know, in business, we have short-term strategy, long-term strategy, and focusing only on those short-term gains just won't cut it and increasingly won't cut it as time goes on. Uh, The world is changing. Businesses globally are recognizing that they must fundamentally change to meet this new set of expectations because that new set of expectations is going to grow and get more precise in the expectation. So there's an increasing focus on investment into the companies that focus on ESG. And that will increase. Now, if you if you do a lot of reading in the space, you will see that that investment has dropped the last year or so. We can talk a little bit about that. But overall, the investment continues to grow when you average it out. So in, in 2018, for instance, uh, the investments into sustainable funds, those funds that then invested in uh, ESG-based companies, was at $5 billion. In 2021, just three years later, the investment was $70 billion. It went up from $5 billion to $70 billion just in three years. And even though it went down a little bit, uh, as I said, we'll, we'll get to that in a moment, it will continue to upswing throughout the, uh, the near-term future and especially the long-term future. And it, it will eventually get to the point where it's just, as I said, a part of doing business that everyone recognizes and it will be table stakes for the game of being in business. There's a lot of great information out there. There's a great video if anyone's interested in watching. It was uh, last year's World Economic Forum, Davos, Switzerland, their May 2020 forum. And the title of the presentation is Global ESG for Global Resilience. Um, And you can just search for that, Global ESG for Global Resilience, World Economic Forum. And it was a great panel discussion where they had the CEO of Unilever, uh, Alan Jope. They had the CEO of Bank of America, Brian Moynihan. They had the head of the Hong Kong Exchange and Clearing, Cha, and the chair of the ISSB, the International Sustainability Standards Board in the UK. That is the group that's trying to build this universal global standard for reporting. And it's hosted by a reporter uh, from India named uh, Shireen Vaughn, who did an excellent job of, of managing this panel. So a central theme in that panel was that consumers will ultimately force companies to place a strong focus on ESG, or they will simply not purchase from them. And as the environmental and social needs of the world increase, which they continue to do, this pressure from consumers will increase as well. So people just increasingly care about things like climate change, about social causes, and they expect the companies they utilize to do the same. Granted, it's not everyone in the population, but it is a growing population. And as that growing population has more buying power and what the trends show is the younger generation has more of that social environmental mindset. So as the buying power of the younger generation increases, that's when the natural pressure on these companies will increase as well to meet the expectations of their consumers. Is that a good thing though? Because I'm thinking back historically how 
uh, the Walmarts and the Targets and the Meyer, the larger grocery chains and how we pushed out all the mom and pop stores. And then once that happened, everything went back to buy local, support this. We messed up. Um, we tend to do this in society to where we push for a cause without even understanding what the potential damage could be. And the younger generations are very loud on lots of social platforms and, you know, they create a cancel culture. So if they're not heard, they're going to try to take you down. So if they're pushing and they're being loud and they're not thinking everything through, what risks could this really cause? Like, this seems like this could be dangerous when you get the, the group think and the, this is the right way and the only way. Wow, that, that's a deep question, Dan. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, you know, so let me ponder on this for just a second. Um, like any global change that is going to occur in the world, there's, there's going to be drivers. And those drivers, the, the hope is that those drivers will be pushing for positive needed change. So to try to answer your question, well, well first of all, I'd like to separate the, the, the question of the, the big companies pushing out the small companies. That's kind mm -hmm. of a different situation because all companies of any size will increasingly feel this responsibility, this corporate social responsibility to meet the needs of ESG. It's just going to be part of doing business and, and all of the research is pointing in that direction. And, and it actually, in my view, it's going to help the small businesses to differentiate themselves. Uh, for instance, my little vitamin company, going back to the case study, this is a private company. It's not a public company. They're not listed on the, the stock exchange. They don't have a lot of investors. Uh, they're a homegrown mom and pop company that's about 30 years old. And mm -hmm. it's companies like that that can really show the social value that they've created. And it will draw in customers who are concerned about that who are looking for that and that's the population that will grow so i think it's going to actually help balance the equity between the large companies and small companies and provide these niche markets for companies to be able to thrive within historically it's the large companies that are the last to move in these yeah. areas a shining example of esg is unilever and i mentioned them earlier they're they're a company that most people have not Many people have not heard of, but you've heard of their brands and they've got hundreds of different brands. So here in the States, uh, things like the Hellman's, mayonnaise and all of the condiments, Breyer's ice cream, Lipton tea, Dove soap, uh, yeah. and many, many, many other things, both in the food space and the personal product space. And they're known as one of the leaders in the space because they've dedicated a lot of resources towards it. They have a dedicated 100 person team for their ESG efforts. They've integrated fully into their business practices across their companies, and they've made big strides already. They announced in 2019 that they are using 100% renewable grid electricity across all of their operations. They've promised to be carbon neutral by 2039. They've also been working towards using only recycled plastics, and you can only imagine the, the plastics involved in their products. So they're, they're thriving and their CEO believes it's in large part due to the commitment to ESG. Another interesting tidbit that came out of that panel discussion that I've mentioned to you that I suggest people watch to get a, a basis of understanding is that the CEO of the Bank of America, uh, Brian Moynihan, said that in their business loan process, they've they've guided their loan officers to consider ESG performance of their prospective clients before approving loans. So it's 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 coming from both directions it's bottom up with the small mom and pop type shops and companies creating this focus and it's it's happening at the top levels of the biggest companies as well 
And the, the bottom line will be that in order to maintain business in the coming years, there's just going to be that growing expectation of CSR and ESG. That, that's going to be an imperative, not a choice. The no, hope I... is that people will be able to manage through this change and create more value and create more profits than what they've seen. I guess I just think of mom and pop stores like when I was younger, like their kid worked there sweeping in the summer because it was a family run business. And these businesses don't have resources to even learn some of these terms. <laughs> like they're not going to have on the, the front door of the candy shop, carbon neutral, um, <laughs> but, but you're going to, the internet, the speed at which the toxicity can move. If a younger generation grabs onto this and just says boycotts, you know, like anybody who's not carbon neutral, like, why would you go there? Gross. And then everyone's like, yeah, gross. And then all these mom and pop shops, like, just quit getting customers because of something that they have no way to affect in a timely manner, especially not to match the speed of the internet, like gluten-free. Like we had to, when I worked at a restaurant, that was gluten became a big thing and people like didn't even know what a glu what gluten was. And so then you had to learn, you had to explain, we had to change our menu. We were only like a 13 restaurant chain. We were able to do it in a year, year and a half or whatever to provide those options. There's restaurants still that don't have a gluten-free menu. And then you get the people that kind of shun them or, you know, give them negative reviews for not being the same as everybody else or not. And they don't really understand that they might not be able to and that they don't have to offer all those things to still offer a good product or service and I feel like if the narrative gets so negative, we're going to see negative results from things that we don't want to close. It could just be a, a fear of mine that is not necessary, but I like to think of where the bad's going to come from this too. When we push for new things and we push hard and if we're cutting off finance for the big companies, it's got to squeeze them somewhere, right? Mm. Well, I'm, I'm an optimist, Dan. So I, I, <laughs> I sincerely hope that people will be able to react. And, you know, in your example of the mom and pop shop, uh, they can do the small things that we listed earlier uh, mm -hmm. and, and they can promote that. Hey, we're we're trying, you know, we understand the need and we are we are taking steps. They don't have to be big steps to be impactful. And I, I, there, there's I always say there's beauty in the trying. And I use that throughout my leadership programs as well. Yep. There's beauty in the trying. And if people see that a leader is trying to do the right thing, then they will give them a lot of grace. And in this space, if somebody sees that a small mom and pop shop is trying to do the right thing and right being relative, uh, right being debatable, mm -hmm. but but meeting the needs of the environment, meeting the needs, uh, the social needs of the people on the planet, then uh, if they're trying, there's beauty in that. And and people should be showing them grace towards that. I, I agree. I guess I'm more risk management. Not I don't want to be not an optimist because I am optimistic for people to do the right thing and be good. But I just see so many times where the the, the message is wrong and they're not intentionally trying to be bad or they don't understand what they're causing or what they're hurting. Like, you know, straws and sea turtles. We never, I would have never considered those two things to be connected until someone explained why straws were hurting sea turtles. And I was like, I don't want to hurt sea turtles. Let's get paper straws. But right, Exactly. But yeah. you just, when you don't have the information or the messages coming or being pushed through the media in a certain way, you tend to uh, unintentionally cause negative impacts maybe. And so that's where I try to be risk averse. But, yeah, yeah, and that, and that's great, and that's and that's a great example of something that's a relatively small shift. Uh, it won't cost much, if anything, to make that transition to paper, uh, and and it's 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 a beautiful thing. And, and people who are concerned about that will say, "This is great," and I'm going to frequent that restaurant because they made that change. To try to sum this up, 
the question is why do some businesses choose to not focus on ESG? And I think that's kind of where we're leading here. And, and mm -hmm. it is a deep question. And, and there are a number of reasons why. A lot of it comes down to focus on profits over people and focus on profits over planet. And the companies that continue to operate in that mode, it will become more and more recognizable that they're focusing on profits before people and planet. Uh, and then I think it's just also a lack of understanding of the greater needs of the world and, and lack of education, as you mentioned. So podcasts like this are great to just get the word out. Not mm -hmm. that it's going to change a lot of minds, but if it at least opens up the thought of, oh, I hadn't thought of that in that way. So let me explore it more. Let me, let me do my own research, make my own decisions around this. You know, many business leaders try to unfortunately separate business from the social contract made with the customers and clients because they're the focus just on money. And a lot of this comes down, frankly, to social science. And I, I do a lot of reading about this. I try not to nerd out or geek out on it, but, um, it. <laughs> <laughs> but it comes down to social science. And, you know, we, we kind of hinted earlier at some of the political aspects, and I don't want to get too deep into politics because that can get dicey. But, you know, when you look at many people on the ultra right voice, are saying that ESG investing is is woke and woke in a derogatory way. And they say that to invest in companies that are ESG focused is actually supporting a liberal agenda. And that's where, and a couple, both of you have mentioned that kind of the news is getting into the mix in an odd way. And and it's it's a false narrative and it's just mudding the waters and taking the focus away from the real and factual needs that need to be addressed. Many companies have, have been the leading cause of the environmental and social uh, damage that's been caused in the world. So if they yeah. continue to turn a blind eye that they have a responsibility to now make things right, then that's when it will eventually become just extremely recognizable. And that's when people will increasingly turn away and it will damage damage their business. I wish people to stay in the middle is what I would want, because we do this over and over where it's bad and we flip to the other side and we make it just bad, but that way now. So like pollution's crazy. Now we got rid of pollution, but we lost all these companies because they were unable to do it in realistic timeframes. The ones with the money survived, the ones with the money or no money or not enough didn't. And we, if we would have stayed in the middle and said, let's be transparent about what we're doing understanding we still need to make profits to operate. But if we're transparent about what our profits are that we're making, we're not taking $2 million bonuses for, you know, the top C-suite people, I don't think would attack them as being not environmentally friendly because they see that they're taking an action, but they're taking an action that serves them. Each company has individual needs and individual abilities like a person does. We wouldn't expect every person to go run three miles a day if that was going to make things better. That would just eliminate all disabled people. So if we, we, we need to take things into consideration more as individualistic think, and we think of things as the group think, and it's dangerous. Then. This ESG thing, I've, it's been coming more and more, and the media, you know, they're for profit. Anything that's for profit is going to do what makes profit. So they'll say what people want to hear, not what they should be saying. Hopefully not all people do that because, you know, journalism used to mean something, but that's a different topic. So I, I digress. Yeah, and I started out in journalism, so it's near and dear to my heart. Uh, um, when, when I think back to my journalism training, it, it was granted it was a number of years ago, but uh, it's just a completely different world now. Uh, so I, I, I agree with you. And, and, and that's why it's important for um, everyone to weed through the noise. 
to sift through that 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 the the false narratives on on both sides of of the spectrum and to to find the truth uh, because the truth is there and that's and that's why it's so important for things like the ISSB's work to come to agreement on how how do we collectively around the world report on these things so that that consumers who care about these factors can say okay I see clearly in this globally standard report that this company is doing this 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 and this yeah they're missing the mark in these areas but you know they're trying and I'm going to support that company and a consumer like me would then be able to say well I see that this company is not putting in the effort to to try yet uh, and if that's if I can discern that that's just them putting profits over people and planet then I as a consumer will turn away. Not all consumers will, but I as a consumer will. And that's, that's you know, to try to wrap up this part of the conversation, that's the bottom line. The consumers like me who do care about these things will be growing in number as more education happens, uh, as, as, we, as we recognize the lingering uh, effects of, of and, and the increasing effects of what's happening in the world. Um, and I, going back to the sustainable development goals that I mentioned, uh, the 17 SDGs of the United Nations, they were developed to look at all of the uh, ills of the world, uh, around the world, in, in both developed and underdeveloped uh, uh, parts of the world, and to say, what do we need to do as a people, as, as 8 billion people living here on this earth, what do we need to do collectively to make sure that this earth can be sustained for the next generation and the next generation and the next and the next and the next. And a lot of very smart people, a lot smarter than me, came up with these 17 goals and a lot of sub goals underneath those to say, if we as a people can do these things collectively together, then we can sustain this world for all of the generations to come. And that's ultimately what, what we're hoping for who, who work in this space, who work mm -hmm. in the ESG space. Is it sustaining the world or is it sustaining the human race on the planet? Because I feel the planet would probably go on living once it eliminates us as the problem. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you're getting you're getting really deep, Dan. And, and yes, science does show that. Uh, the world itself will still be here. The Earth itself will still be here in some so, form or fashion. But uh, Language is important to me. To life. Yep. <laughs> I feel lied to if you're telling me we're sustaining the planet for the next generation. No, we're not. <laughs> we're sustaining us as our, a population. Our ability to live on this planet. <laughs> to live, yeah, yeah. All right, so to kind of wrap up here, uh, we're going to move into, you know, how you harness the power of ESG as an organization. So if you're someone within an organization or a consumer in general, I guess anybody, how would you go about learning about ESG to find more information on the topic? Yeah, I tell people just read, uh, watch videos if that's your preference. There's a lot of great information out there that's, that's publicly uh, accessible. The World Economic Forum, as I mentioned a couple of times, they've got a lot of valuable resources. They they have panel discussions, they have talks on this, uh, the United Nations as well. And just there's there's a lot of great information out there. Uh, um, there are a ton of videos out there to discuss it, but there is a bit of caution as well. And I've, I've hinted at it a couple of times uh, because there are a lot of people that put out videos on the topic of VSG that are very political in nature. And ESG's sadly become this lightning rod issue politically as, as we've talked about. But if we can look past that rhetoric, look for the truthful, uh, factual information, it can start to become clear 
that it's a needed path to ensure that we have a, a path uh, as people on this planet uh, and, and that our future generations are allowed to have time on this earth as well. So uh, it takes leadership and it's increasingly becoming a key focus of the leadership development work that I do. So I, um, I own my own leadership development firm. I do executive coaching in the space. I'm on the board of governors of the IAC, the International Association of Coaching, and I lead our sustainability committee where we are training the next generation of coaches to be able to coach on sustainability issues, to, to coach towards those United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, and to help companies to understand the space of ESG, how to navigate the space, and, and the hopeful eventual benefit of placing strong focus on the space of ESG. Okay, so really the kind of language that they might need to use to communicate and get the message across and not get attacked for saying something Right, wrong. exactly. Okay. Great. Um, so as a company, what steps could you start to take from where we're at now with ESG and how it's seen? Like, is there, do you have any recommendations, like somebody, like first steps? There's, there's so many things that, that can be done, both both big and small again. So I'll share another example. The, the CEO of Unilever that I mentioned earlier, uh, they changed their, their compensation process and policy to where now a quarter of an executive's pay equation is based on sustainability measures. So they, they built it in, they baked it into their, their pay process in such a way that the leaders are obviously going to be focusing on this, which means it's going to be driving their strategy. And it's just a great example of the governance piece of ESG then positively influencing the environmental and social aspects as well. And companies of any size can do things like this. Uh, so even as a smaller company, we can find those in the company who are passionate about the environment, passionate about social issues, form a committee for them to develop ways to meet the social contract that they have uh, with customers to be an ethical and socially responsible organization. Example, uh, do, do policies and practices uh, and and revise them to have greater impact in the ESG space. Uh, even even smaller companies typically have some policies and practices that they could examine to consider different ways of doing things. Um, and then get your marketing people involved. You you two are both on the marketing team to highlight yeah. the efforts. You know, and, and ensuring it's a way that it's not greenwashing. It's it's factual. It's accurate and gives customers what they need to make that decision. Do I want to do business? Uh, with this company based on their value system, based on the work that they're doing. Uh, and if if you feel that the story is not strong enough to to highlight, uh, then build the commitment to, to make the needed changes so the story changes in a way that it will be impactful. It will actually draw new customers, new clients in to your business. So Brian, I think you're kind of raising some thoughts in my mind. It's important for me when I'm purchasing a product that, and if I'm purchasing it for purposes of um, sustainability or whatever, that it's important that I'm able to see that there's an intrinsic motivation in that company to authentically pursue carbon neutral emissions or whatever it is. So yes, get your marketing team involved, but like, what are some ways that companies can actually communicate an authentic commitment? That's not just motivated by, Hey, like the government's telling me we need to do this, or I don't want to like not receive funding for this. It, I, I have to know that it's intrinsically motivated or else I don't buy into what you're selling. Right, right. And, and at this point, there are no government mandates that any company has to report on ESG. 
that's why there's so many different standards out there. That's why these different companies have popped up uh, that that are trying to track companies and and do analytics on companies and then and then sell that analytics to other companies. So uh, right now it's just kind of the wild west. Uh, there there will be a point where the next step in the reporting will be this globally accepted standard that they're working on now. But companies will still have an option whether or not it becomes mandated in the states or in anywhere in the world that you have to report in these areas is yet to be seen. We don't know. But the, the core of your question is how, how can we shift through uh, what, what could be the BS and see the truth in an organization? And uh, what can organizations do to make sure that they're telling the story in a compelling way, in a, a way that is is giving the consumer what they need to know in order to make that informed decision. Uh, and that's more in your world than mine, more in the marketing world than mine. And uh, I've seen companies do it good. For instance, uh, I keep going back to my little case study. When when I looked at the card and it said to reduce deforestation and greenhouse gas emissions, this card was printed on sugar sheet, 100%, sorry, I'm having trouble reading it, the light's low, 100% forest-free paper made from sugarcane residue fiber. It's like, wow. They went to that step. Did it cost them a little bit more? Probably. Did it make my customer loyalty stronger? Definitely. So we can we can do things in an honest way that is impactful to the consumer, that helps them to make that choice to to be a loyal consumer. Yeah. But and I, I think too that part of that might be some of that certification from third parties. Um, like you were talking about before, being a, a certified uh, B Corporation, a lot of consumers, I think there was a study that said about 75% of consumers um, look to those external third-party certifications as a buying factor or yeah. as a part of their purchasing decision as well. Yeah, exactly right. You know, I haven't mentioned Patagonia, but Patagonia has always been a leader in the space, the, the clothing company. They've always been a leader in the space and they've recently uh, changed their business structure to the point where uh, it was always privately held by the family, but they've changed the business structure to where now it's the company is owned by the planet. The profits go towards supporting the planet. Yes, they're paying their employees. Yes, they're making profit. Yes, they're doing all the normal things you would do in a business. But the purpose of the business now is to support the planet. So they're like the shining example of, of commitment to uh, the ESG space. But not every company has, has that internal drive to do that. But as the theme that we keep returning back to, it will become an imperative that companies need to create that motivation uh, because consumers will be expecting it more strongly and more strongly as time goes on. I think it's the subtle actions that will build trust too. The people who are the loudest about it are the people that are likely doing the least and trying to gain the most. Um, if someone asks you to trust them, you usually automatically don't trust them because you're like, <laughs> right. why would you even ask that? If you know, if you have to tell somebody you're the boss or you're cool, you're probably not the boss. You're probably not cool because <laughs> <laughs> people come to these. We need to decide this on our own. And it's usually through your actions and a long period of time of you repeating these actions that allow us to then make that decision. So like that card in there, that's not all over Facebook or I'm not seeing ads for this card. So they're not screaming, look what we're doing. We're, we're being right. good. They put it in there with their product to provide that peace of mind or that extra for you because you paid a little more and you paid a little more because you care about that. Those are the things that I would look for if I were looking to support more people in this space. 
the quiet, subtle, classy things, I think, are the way, you know, they probably actually care. Yeah. Or, or they're super geniuses and they've next leveled it. <laughs> but um, yeah. so I guess to wrap up here, uh, you know, you mentioned harmonic leadership and your coaching and everything that you've been doing in your own business. How could you maybe tie that into this, like through the lens of harmonic leadership, if somebody wanted to, you know, I'm sure you've been mixing the two. How, how are you doing it or talking about it? Yeah, uh, thanks. Thanks for that question, Dan. So um, I, I don't want this to be like promotional, but but a lot of the work that I do is is in the leadership development space. So I, I provide leadership development programs. I do coaching in the space. I believe I mentioned I'm on the board of governors of the um, International Association of Coaching. So I'm helping to prepare the next generation. In my book, Harmonic Leadership, there are many tools and concepts that support this deeper understanding and commitment to ESG, but it's very subtle. Most of the models, most of the tools that I've included in the book can be used in any leadership situation and in ESG um, leadership as well. Uh, one, of, one of the key concepts is something called the mindful caring model. And I'll hold it up on the screen for those watching the video. For those listening, you won't have the benefit, but it's basically four quadrants, uh, caring for the others, caring for the group, caring for the work and caring for the self. And we use this as a frame throughout uh, the programs that I, that I provide to help people understand the need for balance in that caring if we approach our work if we approach our 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 team members if we approach uh the groups that we're involved in if we approach the work that we're doing within our realm and if we take care of ourselves in equal balance measure we're going to be doing some good things and in esg coaching i take that to the next level and i have uh, my my coaching clients place that card, that, those four quadrants on a piece of paper and draw a big circle around it on the paper and say, that represents the world. What are you doing for the broader world in the environmental space, in the social needs space to meet those UN sustainable development goals and to, to analyze what you're doing now and what you could do in order to have greater effect uh, to increase the amount of caring that you're placing both within your close circle and the broader world. Uh, and a number of the tools that we have uh, within the book can, can be used for that broader lens of how we are addressing the broader needs in the world. That's great. And yet no self-promotion uh, worries because, you know, you coached me for a year and I can attest that your methods were awesome. And I still use a lot of them. I love that's, you know, having you on here to get more of your insights, I guess, to go off what you just said there, though, like to use these different areas to kind of think deeply about yourself and where you're in there. Could you maybe use like a Venn diagram for certain things? Like say you're already doing something, but you're not realizing the impact that it could have on this and now find that overlap. And maybe it's just a small change or maybe no change at all. Just the way you think about it. I don't know if you go into that or anything during this, but that seems... That's where I thought it would go. Is that yeah. something somebody could do if they're already doing something? Maybe just look at it like, does this affect this? Yeah, that's 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 interesting uh, concept, Dan. So um, uh, you can I'll, I'll put that on my next book and credit you. How's that? <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but uh, in the uh, in the mindful balance caring model, uh, on the back of the model is a place for people to write in 
where they're putting what I call focused energy, supporting these four areas of care. And it's kind of getting to what, what you're alluding to there, uh, because people will realize that, oh, I'm doing this type of activity in this one quadrant, but guess what? It's also positively affecting another quadrant. Uh, so caring for others, individuals, is also caring for the group. It could also be caring for the for the, the work as well. Uh, some of the things that I do to care for the self will be ultimately positively affecting the other areas. So in the exercise I was mentioning where you put a big circle around it and say, what am I doing for the world? Mm -hmm. People People gain that understanding. It's like, oh, now that I'm analyzing this and seeing that I'm doing all of these things for others, for the group, for the work, and for the self, in doing those things, I'm benefiting the broader world. So it, it wow. hopefully helps create that same that same understanding. Yeah, that's great. Actually, I like that a lot. Any other um, insights or tips and tricks that you want to close us out here with? We're, we're coming up on our time and we don't want to go over or take too much of your time. We definitely thank you for coming here today with us and giving us all the, the information and the time. But is there anything else you want to add? Yeah, well, well, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. It's been a great discussion. Thank you, Tori. Thank you, Dan, so much. Uh, thank you for the work you're doing as well. And I'll, I'll just leave us with the uh, invitation for each of us to consider how each of us can care in ways that we can create a better world for all people and all living beings. So the earth will be viable uh, for generations to come, and we can continue to do work that provides opportunities for all people. That was great. We just got to stop there. Amazing. <laughs> We just want to take this time to thank Brian uh, for joining us here today and providing all the information, his knowledge and his insights and, you know, how it can tie to leadership and how it can tie to different types and sizes of organizations. Uh, I really enjoyed the information and definitely pulled some valuable stuff out of there. Uh, I hope you guys all did as well. Absolutely. I, I definitely did. Brian had stuff to share that I'd never heard before. And so, yeah, I, I think it's been hopefully really valuable for you guys as the audience. And um, just kind of a couple things to keep in mind, right? ESG is, it's not a new topic, but it is kind of coming to the the forefront of a lot of people's business models and, and just strategic planning and things like that. Uh, we've seen that in the last couple of years. And so there's still a lot of work to be done in this space, but it's definitely an important conversation. And, and we're just really delighted that we could have an expert like Brian on to talk about it and to just kind of provide more information for our audience. Hope that this was just really, really valuable for all of you. And we look forward to seeing y'all next time on the Innovation Room podcast. Sounds great. See you then. <laughs>